All right. So for this month's discussion, we are going to explore what we like to call the inconvenience of heaven. Got a couple of other brothers in Christ today that we're going to talk about how heaven can seem like a bit of an inconvenience to us whenever we say things like, I want to go to heaven, but, and then insert whatever it is you want to do before Christ comes back or before you die. And we're going to be exploring this concept of how our speech and our thought process can sometimes betray the thing that we really want the most, and that is to be with God forever in eternity. We hope that you enjoy this discussion today. If you like it, please consider sharing the podcast with your friends, leaving us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts. And please, if you have ideas about future topics, feel free to email us at scriptureinout at gmail.com. Thanks for tuning in. We hope you enjoy this discussion. The concept of the inconvenience of heaven. And I came up with that idea in my brain when I heard somebody utter the words, I want to go to heaven, but I'd rather do this first. And you can insert whatever you want to in there. Some people say, Cain said, you know, some people say they don't want to go to heaven until they get married. Um, there's the song by Kenny Chesney. Um, how's it go? Um, Everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to go now. Yeah. And for the longest time, I was like, this is a catchy song. But like now I'm thinking, that's an awful message. That's <laughs> yep. like, that's really depressing. Like everybody wants to go to heaven, but I'd rather, you know, I'd rather go see this particular movie or I'd rather hit this particular milestone uh, before I go be with the Lord in glory. It's like, really? <laughs> so. When you hear that, when you hear somebody say, I want to go to heaven, but I'd rather do this first, your wheels start turning. What are you thinking about when when you hear somebody say that? What are you thinking about regarding that person's priorities? For me personally, it's been a long time since I can remember that I actually heard somebody say that. When you first told me the subject material of the inconvenience of heaven, uh, the first thing that came to mind for me was not so much what we say, but more of our behavior. That if our behavior yeah. shows that we're not really ready. Exactly. And that's something I was thinking about too ahead of time was that saying you want to go to heaven, but you'd rather do this first is almost a, a macro extreme of a lot of our individual actions that we do every single day. I'd rather go play golf than go to church on Sunday. Nope. That's in a way a microcosm of the macro being I would rather finish college or get married before going to heaven. Because what you're basically saying when you would rather go play golf on a Sunday or whatever you want to do on a Sunday or whatever you want to do when the church is gathering together, you're basically saying I would rather go do this than be at the closest thing we have to heaven on earth for just a little bit. Right or wrong? Too extreme. What do y'all think? No, I agree. Uh, the Whether it's, a, I don't know, fooling yourself. I mean, nobody puts that two and two together. But that's still that's still the truth. Mm-hmm. If you sit down and discuss it and, and really glean, <laughs> go through it, that is the truth. But, I mean, nobody's thinking that way. Yeah. Just thinking, I'm going to make that decision. Mm-hmm. Mitch mentioned his own people's desires and what they want out of life or or whatever and i mean it just goes back to the age-old dilemma that man has between the flesh wanting god but also wanting to serve the flesh at the same time exactly and something else i thought about too it seems like just about every act of righteousness that we can do is somewhat of an inconvenience to our heaven and when I say our heaven, I'm not talking about how it's all things to all people, but when we're talking about heaven on earth, the gatherings of the brethren, um, getting together for a singing or, or, or a fellowship or an actual worship assembly, there's something that we've got going on in our own life that is our personal inconvenience to heaven. So I'll start off by telling you what my specific inconvenience to heaven is, and that's video games and entertainment. That's that's my biggest one. It's getting better, and y'all have known this ever since I, I <clears throat> poured out my <laughs> poured out my guts on a sermon about it a while back. But I can very easily 
in my mind justify or, or just say to myself, I'd much rather just stay home and, and play games than, than go do X, Y, or Z with the church. And I know that sounds crazy because I'm an extrovert and I want to be around people, but it's weird you put me in front of this and I want to be around it all the time. And I'll be willing to give up the things that I know are so much more of a greater blessing to me being around brethren, being encouraged by them. And that's another microcosm. We know that heaven is so much of a greater blessing than any lifetime achievement we could get, whether it's college, marriage, seeing kids grow up and graduate and do great things. We know that heaven's going to be greater than all those things, but it's just amazing to me that I can justify in the moment missing out on heaven on earth over these petty little things. So y'all go around in a circle. We'll start with you, Kane. What's your biggest inconvenience towards heaven on earth in that light? I guess until you brought it up, I've never thought about it in those terms. But if I was to put it in those terms, probably watching my family grow up. Mm -hmm. And that's a lot harder to detach from than video games. Like I can, I can sit here and beat myself up all day, but it, it'd be really hard for me, for me to look at you and say, you need to, detach a little bit from your family and get closer to heaven, you know? Um, let me, I just want to make sure I understand what you're saying. Yeah. You wouldn't want heaven to come now because you actually want to watch your kids grow up a little longer. Is that what you're saying? If we were to put it in those terms now, is that how I feel? Not really. But if, if we were to, to find something that would, be Maybe the most likely. Most likely okay. it would be that. I follow you. Mitch? I guess for me, uh, my work. Mm-hmm. I have a construction business, and most people here know I'm, I'm an uh, overdoer. And, and I think if I'm honest with myself, that shows uh, a misplaced priority. Uh, it's almost as if if I if I can put enough concrete in this building and put enough steel in the walls, it actually lasts forever, and it won't. I mean, everything rots, everything decays, and and despite how many projects I I do, I always I, I, it's always like I'm grasping at the possibility of I will be able to create something that will last. Mm-hmm. When I mean the scripture's clear, everything everything rusts, everything decays, everything. Mm-hmm. Can be anything can be stolen, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's probably where I, I would, if I'm honest with myself, that's going to be my inconvenience. If I'm answering the question right, you are. Uh, <laughs> I want to I want to play with my Legos a little bit longer because <laughs> that's where that's where my fleshly interests yeah. are. That's playing with Legos. <laughs> Love that illustration <laughs> because I heard somebody say. They want they want to go to heaven, and this was somebody in the church. They want to go to heaven, but not until Avengers Endgame comes out. <laughs> and it's like, I can kind of relate to that because, I mean, really, we're talking, I mean, if you're talking about somebody who's a, a nerd about these kind of things, we're talking about the greatest cinematic achievement in our lifetime. Sorry to Lord of the Rings. Oh, I mean, wow. it's great. I mean, and I'm a recent newcomer to that train, but we're talking about a series of movies spanning... 11 years with one continual timeline. And it's like, I can go into that, but it's all these things that are grandiose. And, and you mentioned this in, you know, in your lesson tonight, talking about how we're wowed by certain things in the world versus being wowed by things in scripture. And you mentioned, and I'm speaking about Mitch here. He mentioned that we can get so enamored with emotion when we see on a TV screen, a superhero with all the special effects around them, you know, shooting lasers out of his eyes or flying over a city or doing something special. And that provokes emotion in us. And the movie industry is good about doing that. But when we read Exodus and we can picture the seas parting and this thing that no amount of special effects could ever justify, we don't get quite as emotional about it. And, I can't help but wonder how much of that plays into seeing heaven as an inconvenience versus the things that we want to do right now. We're not as awe-stricken and as emotionally pricked by the concept of going to heaven as we should be. It doesn't it doesn't get you in the feels as they say as finishing the Avenger saga or watching your kid walk across the stage and accept a diploma 
You know, there's all these things that are seen as great milestones in life, yet those provoke so much more emotion in us than hearing the words, you are going to be with God forever in eternity. Well, it it's we just live in such a shiny environment. Mm-hmm. We've always had the Bible. I mean, we can always read the Bible later. It says the same thing it said last time. Yeah. But... <laughs> there's not a biblical there's, cinematic universe yeah, that we can always, look forward to. There's always uh, the next accomplishment of special effects, the next mm-hmm. grand idea for a, a, a plot. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it, it's distracting. Uh, it, that's just what it is. It's the next shiny thing. And, and we we know in the back of our mind, or we think that the Bible will always be there. I can pick it up later. Mm-hmm and do that anytime and anytime becomes never yeah and i think it's hard too to only know in your mind what you've been acquainted with and what you've experienced in life so it's hard to imagine you know really at least for me what heaven really is going to be like i think it wasn't i think the first time that i really remember in my life being excited about heaven is thinking about the most i guess the best thing on earth Mm -hmm. or the best the the best feeling I've ever felt on earth and just magnifying that an infinite amount of times. Yeah. There's really no way to put it in into words. Nor should it be able to be. Exactly. And so to the human mind, with us being in the flesh, it's hard for us to compare it to anything at all. Yet, yet a lot of people do. Exactly. And that's the weird thing about it. It's so hard for us to compare it to anything that we know, yet there's people who say... I can't wait to play golf with Jesus in heaven (laughs) or I can't wait to sit on a beach in heaven with God and talk about life. And I'm, and I'm not saying it's wrong to, uh, to think about heaven in the ways that you can equate it with, with joy. But I think when we start to attach things that are going to go away forever and that will never exist ever again, and to a degree limit the joy of heaven based on those things, maybe not intentionally, but subconsciously or just in passing, I wonder how much of that actually contributes to heaven being an inconvenience. Mm-hmm. Because in a lot of people's mind, in my own, I can sometimes create a heaven that I perceive to be just a little bit better than the best things I've had in life. and Or a I, continuation of it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Like somehow the day that I die, the way that, the way that I die, and, and in that image and in that person... I'm going to continue on into glory and, and my life is going to continue on that way into heaven. My business, my family, my hobbies, all of that stuff. And, and marriage, marriage. Yeah. We don't, we don't need to get into the, <laughs> to the doctrine and the philosophy of that. That's for another episode folks. And I guess I haven't answered the question yet, but yeah, you go ahead. I think that it's probably just a mixture of maybe what Mitch and Kane have already talked about, but I mean, Wanting to accomplish the things that I want to accomplish here on earth. Mm-hmm. Those are the things that distract me basically every single day from actually living the spiritual life or the, the life that I should be living. Keeps me out of keeps me out of the Bible, keeps me out of, of prayer mm-hmm. because I'm too busy, you know, focusing focusing on, you know, what I want to accomplish uh, yeah. physically. Yeah. Uh, but I think that, you know, you talked about wanting to get married. Like, I just want to get married and experience what all the things that go in with that. I think that, you know, as a teenager, uh, mm-hmm. that was definitely there. Wanted wanted to experience that. I see other people, uh, by my account anyway, that seem to be, have really good and happy marriages. Um, and it was definitely something that I wanted to accomplish before, before heaven or before Judgment Day. I think uh, for me personally, too, I was... And still do have a, I guess, a respectful amount of fear for that day mm-hmm. just because of the unknown. I think we talked about that. Oh, we were here at, at Jackson's house, but we stayed up late talking about stuff like that. But there's always a reasonable amount of, of fear for for Judgment Day or when, when Christ came back. I'm getting off subject, but no. I think that that fear always kind of kept me away from, from ever wanting to, to get to that point. If yeah. I'm being honest with myself, I think we're all t- to a degree that way. I mean, we all wrestle with a 
the the age old question: Have I done enough? Yeah, you know, and, yeah. and and we know that that's not the way we're supposed to look at it because we can never do enough. We can't earn our salvation. We we've heard all that before, but yet we turn right around like the dog to the vomit, and we just go right back to. And we know that that thought of "Have I done enough?" it tastes bad. It's a bad tasting thought. It's like vomit because that thought's what causes us to wrestle with our salvation. We don't have the joy of looking forward to heaven. And as you were talking about that, I got to thinking about, have y'all seen that picture? It's, it's almost like a portrait the way that it's put together, but it's this, it's this woman who is grasping at what appears to be an image of, of Christ in, in robes and she's holding him and you can tell she's dressed in, in typical modern day clothing. She's wearing a t-shirt and jeans and she's grasping him and holding him. And you can see that there's just this expression of joy and wonder on her face. And she's almost crying. And it's the, the picture is titled first day in heaven. And I thought that's pretty neat. But then I got to thinking about it. You can only get to that point if you're running towards Jesus in that picture. that that's I didn't picture her being afraid on Judgment Day and being afraid of that day coming, and then all of a sudden, oh, Christ, you're here, and, and, I'm, and I'm in heaven now. In a way, I looked at that picture, and I pictured her from A to B running to that point and never, you know, never being afraid, always looking forward to the day that she would be able to be in his arms for eternity. And, you know, we're getting into some realms of, of fantasy and legend there when we talk about that kind of stuff and it can get into the weeds pretty quick. But that, that to me is a mindset that I've always wished that I could have from sun up to sundown. Uh, Go ahead, Mitch. As you say that it, you know, it's convicting because honest with myself, I, <laughs> I usually imagine myself on judgment day with my head down kind of kicking a rock around the floor did i did i make it (laughs) oh i'll be humble i'll just kind of kick the kid am i in the right room yeah is this you know and it it, it's that's not that's not the way it should be i mean we should have faith in our salvation and that's something that i struggle with uh so often is that you know, that, that totally incorrect feeling of, oh, I've been a terrible person today. I failed today. And if the judgment came now, I'd be lost. You know, that, that you're, only, you're only saved up to the last time that you said a prayer. <laughs> and that's difficult to get out of that. I don't know if y'all have a similar struggle. Uh, we all come from different backgrounds. But for me personally, that's something I don't know if that's something I picked up in in my childhood or what, but that, that feeling of, of if I'm, if I've been sinful and, and didn't say a prayer immediately, well, I'm, I'm at that moment, I'm lost. You think it has something to do with relinquishing control and how, cause, cause you specifically, you know, for those of you who don't know, Mitch is a business owner and he's kind of a jack of all trades, um, type person. And to me, you've always been the guy who can get it done. So do you think some of that mindset and some of that comfort and that to a degree identity that's in being the guy that can get stuff done translates over to where it might be difficult to give up your eternal destiny to something that's frankly, not you and your own actions. Yes. Me personally. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's probably become a pride problem. I mean, I'm, I don't have to answer to anybody, uh, I'm, I'm the boss. I'm mm-hmm. the manager. I'm the one that I, we're doing it my way. I mean, so everything, and then I'm, I'm a husband and a father. So, I mean, I've, I've got all these positions in my life where I'm the guy, if there's a problem, everybody looks at me and I better have an answer. <laughs> and so for me to have to look to God is, uh, is, I don't even know what the word would be is diff. It's just difficult, you know, to yeah. just fully, I didn't, I can't do anything. I have no power Mm -hmm. to accomplish or get myself into heaven. I've got no power to accomplish anything when I get Mm -hmm. there. And, and that's something that, uh, that me and, and people that I've talked to that are like me, I mean, that, uh, what are we going to do in heaven? You know, if I can't, if I can't, you know, somebody that, that is identity ends up guilty as charged, it's tied up in their work and their accomplishment. What what am I going to get done in heaven? Yeah. And that's 
mind-boggling. Well, and it shows that it shows that you're not. And I'm not thinking the right way, obviously. But well, well, now I know why when we sing that song, when our work on earth is over, while you cringe a little bit, you're thinking <laughs> there's going to be no work to do. What there's going to be do? nothing to fix in heaven. There's going to be no leaks to fix. Nothing. What do I do? And you know, as we're talking about it, it's it makes me have a little bit more sympathy when I hear somebody say, I want to go to heaven, but X, Y, Z, because as we're talking about it, the problem is pretty, pretty deeply philosophical to a degree. It's, it's deep rooted in our psyche. It has a lot to do with how we grew up, where our identity is struggles that we have, what we have attachments to. So the title of the show or the episode is probably going to be the inconvenience of heaven, comma and stuff. Because it goes much farther than just viewing heaven as an inconvenience because I want to do this or that. Usually this or that, that hobby that we have that comes before heaven or that thing that we're attached to or wherever our identity is wrapped up in is usually a, it's caused by either trauma or something we find security in because of trauma or because of difficulties encountered in life. And it's just such a multifaceted problem that that phrase that somebody utters, I want to go to heaven, but I'd rather do this first, is not just a flippant statement, really. It may be in the moment to them, but it's got a lot under the surface. It's an onion, as they would say. I think a lot of it comes down to what we're attached to, though. Oh, yeah. When you say which, and a lot of things that happen in our life shape what we're attached to, but... Really, it uh, it comes down to what do, what do we love in this life? Our family, our things, our job, our country. Mm-hmm. That's a and big one. Mitch talking tonight made me think of that. I don't know why, but a lot of people are really attached to their political party or, mm-hmm. or their country, and and that's that's become almost a religion in and of itself. Oh yeah, and you can't be. A lot of people say you can't be in this party and be a Christian at the same time. Mm-hmm. When I mean, I would say that's completely false, but those are constructs that we've put in in our life, in our fleshly way of thinking that go when heaven and eternity go far beyond any of these constructs that we put in place. Yeah, exactly. And whenever you, whenever and the somebody, things that we're attached to. Yeah. And when somebody says you cannot be a Christian because you're of this party or because you work at this job or you do this or that. In effect, what you're doing when you say that is you're telling that person what they believe. Yeah. Because when you say that someone, like, I'll just use the example, you cannot be a Christian and a, a Republican at the same time. And then you go on to say, well, it's because Republicans believe X, Y, Z. Really? It's like, how do you know what every Republican believes? You know, and we make those those judgment statements and you may have a generally good idea of what the track record of a certain political party or a certain uh, belief system is that's that's outside of Christianity but the moment that you say to somebody you know you can't be a christian because you are of this ilk you immediately make yourself the expert on what that ilk is and you make yourself also the expert of that other person's heart and their everyday decisions and how much of that philosophy they buy into as well. Well, I think if we're honest, the the answer is being overly invested in any political party is unchristian like. I, I I shy away from saying you can't be a Christian because well that's not what makes you a Christian. Being baptized for the remission of your sins mm-hmm. is what makes you a Christian. So I try to steer away from saying statements like that, but it would be unchristian like to be overly invested in concern with any political platform. Yeah. Our kingdom is not of this earth. It'd be unchristian to be overly concerned with anything that's not Christianity. To be overly concerned to the point of idolatry, basically. Mm-hmm. To the point of idolatry or to the point of placing your identity. That's the biggest thing to me is what is what do you identify as? You know, we're in a political climate right now where people are identifying as just about everything. And we need to take some of that narrative and turn it inward and ask ourselves, what are we identifying as? Because at the end of the day, truthfully, I identify as Jackson, the home inspector who loves video games, history books, and Marvel movies. If I'm really being honest with myself, that's what the fruit of my life says I identify as, who just happens to attend a congregation 
of the Lord's Saints on Sundays and Wednesdays during gospel meetings, fellowships, etc. And that all that stuff doesn't mean that all my faults doesn't mean I'm not a Christian, but it shows that I have an identity crisis. And I think every one of us can admit to having somewhat of an identity crisis to a degree, maybe some worse than others, maybe some better than others. You can feel free to edit this out <laughs> if this is too opinionated or too in the weeds. But I, I think it's almost a, a new tool that the devil has tried, this idea of America. Because up until America, I mean, the persecution was rampant. Almost anywhere, anybody, uh, uh, it's just an overwhelming, everybody's being persecuted. And if we're not being persecuted here, we're fixing to be. Well, America has this this grand idea. We're a nation under God. We're going to unite under God and, and that's that that's good that we can have a nation that started or or uses bin, biblical principle and guidelines but it, it's almost fooled us in, like what Sawyer said uh earlier you know it's almost become a religion of itself we have you know when something's changed or said in the constitution or in, in any laws we we kind of have that book in our left hand and the bible in the right hand and use them interchangeably and that's not really how it is the Jesus said his kingdom is not of this earth. So America cannot be a Christian kingdom. Mm -hmm. It can be a, a kingdom or a country that holds to some Christian ideals. But mm -hmm. I think we've, we've been susceptible to fooling ourselves into thinking that it is God's kingdom. I agree 100%. And I think to a degree, we make a lot of our own kingdoms in a lot of things. We don't, we don't call our home or our job. God's kingdom on earth. But we take that same that same line of thinking. We apply so much value and so much identity and so much attachment to it that, you know, the moment anybody attacks it, we defend it like we should defend Christianity. Yep. Like we're called to do that. And, you know, you talk about getting off in the weeds, Mitch. Y'all ever think about phrases that don't mean what they used to mean? Like, number one, the glove box. <laughs> Have you, like, maybe you still put gloves in the glove box. I don't. I don't, but there's another phrase of, you know, this is going to be your Bible. And what they mean when they say that is you're going to read this a lot. When truthfully, when somebody says this is going to be your Bible or you're going to do this religiously, the reply to that should be, oh, so you mean I'm going to do it rarely or read it rarely? It's like, yeah. that's kind of cringe. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, if we're being honest, that, that doesn't mean what it used to mean. But I get it. When people say that, my mind immediately goes, this is something that I should value and should read a bunch, but don't tell me that that means I'm going to do that because you called it that. Because obviously my identity is wrapped up in these other things and I've got these other problems. And Imagine if people were... Go ahead, Kane. Oh, no, I was just going to say, I think that, I mean, obviously the theme kind of has been um, what we hold as, you know, how we identify or what our identity is. And I think that the reason for myself or for anyone really that heaven could seem like an inconvenience is because of what we identify as. And I have a couple of verses and I won't read them all, but finally um, getting some scripture. I know it's been a very <laughs> secular podcast up until now. Thank you. I know it's, I guess, easier said than done, but if we identify ourselves in Christ, heaven, the thought of heaven coming at this moment, is nothing but pure joy. In Matthew 6, it says, seek first the kingdom of God. Is that what we're seeking? If we are, then the thought of heaven is not an inconvenience. In Matthew 13, it says that the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Do we find that joy in the thought of heaven in our life and service to Christ? That's a good point. I, and I did a lesson a while back, uh, and it was called Finding True Fulfillment. And one of the commentaries, it was actually a sermon that I listened to from a preacher named Adrian Rogers, but he said in that sermon, he said, stop treasuring treasure. And what he meant was stop putting your faith and your stop treasuring physical earthly treasure. And what he said really stuck with me. He said, don't let Satan make a fool out of you, basically. Get the real thing. I tried to convey that in my sermon. I hope I did, but... <clears throat> That's the thing. If we're looking at what you said, where our treasure, where our heart truly lies, if we're truly treasuring heaven, then it's like you said, we're going to pursue that in our own life. That's going to be the true treasure in our heart. 
not what I can accomplish in my own life before I die or before God, before Jesus comes back. I think that all too often we buy into the notion that we can have all the blessings of heaven and the conveniences of the world of worldly pleasures at the same time and somehow be quote unquote, not inconvenienced. And I don't think that's obviously not the way it works. And sometimes as Christians, we just have to say no. Yeah. And there's a good soundbite that's going to come out of what you just said, Cain, is that the conveniences of the world will make heaven an inconvenience to you over time. Yep. Luke nine twenty three it says that we're to deny ourselves. Mm-hmm. If we want to follow after Christ, we have to deny ourselves. The scripture you read a moment ago, Cain, uh, Matthew 6 and 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. I think we often see that as a one-time accomplishment. That is a, that is a, an ongoing, that is a path. It's not, it's just not, Oh, I found the kingdom of heaven and now I can do everything else. No, we need to be constantly seeking or attaining or working for or accomplishing the things of the kingdom of heaven. Mm -hmm. And, and I think uh, whether we realize it or not, sometimes we, we, we see that as a one time, Oh, I looked for the kingdom of heaven. I found it. And now I'm going to continue on. I'm good. I'm going to continue on with my life. I think this is the problem most of the time that we don't want to deny ourselves. We want to gratify our flesh. And when this happens, obviously the thought of heaven becomes inconvenient mm-hmm. and it doesn't have the appeal that it should because we're not focused on what we ought to be focused on. Definitely. Conveniences have a way of wrapping up your attention yeah. and your, because that's what they are by nature. They're convenient. Mm-hmm. So they're going to be right there when you want them. They're not hard to get to. The nature of a convenience means it's easy to get to. So the easier something is to get to, the more of your time it's going to consume. <laughs> Maybe we should do a better job of making our conveniences inconvenient. My head's starting to hurt <laughs> with all these play on words. Matthew thirteen twenty two. that's the parable of the sower. But mm-hmm. in 22, it says, He also that receives seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word and the care of this world and the deceitfulness of riches do what? Choke the word. Mm-hmm. And what happens? He becomes unfruitful. And so what Mitch was talking about, like it's a constant thing that we have to be doing really in a simplified version, a simplified biblical version is we have to be fruitful in Christ's kingdom. And I guess when Jackson first told me what the subject was going to be, that was, that was, this is one of the first passages that I thought of because what causes us to become distracted with any, with that treasure that Cain talked about, it's, it's pretty simple the things of this world. And it's it's like what you talked about earlier. The things, I forgot the word that you used, but it's our own hobbies. It's our own hobbies. Yeah. Our, the things that distract us. What was the word? It's an extremely simple word, but it's failing me now. But <laughs> the the things that we, that we want out of life, mm-hmm. and most of the time they're not spiritual things, well, sadly. I think about that with, with the business, going back to the early days of, of J&S home inspections and there's this there's this drive behind me a lot of a lot of those early months of going to offices politicking shaking hands kissing babies kind of thing and this whole rush that you get out of pre-covid yeah, pre-covid pre-covid <laughs> pre-covid not kissing babies now folks I don't we might get demonetized wait we're not monetized are we? we're definitely not monetized <laughs> we're definitely not monetized I have to pay Apple Podcasts to put this up on there huh. but Anyway, uh, the rush that you get of, of building a business is a good, I think is a good analogy of how we can get attached to things because this becomes something that you've sunk a lot of time into. And so I sunk a lot of time into marketing, talking to people, trying to build up a brand and business starts coming in. So that's a positive feedback loop of that happening over and over again. So that makes me want to do more marketing, more effort and I think that happens to us a lot in our conveniences too. It's a positive feedback loop of we do something, we like it, it produces a desirable result, we do it again and again and again, and before we know it, we're pursuing it not because we like that particular thing, we just like the feeling that it gives us. I got to the point where I didn't really even like doing marketing anymore. And Sawyer will tell you this, that that was my bread and butter. That's what I love to do. But the truth is, is it got to the point where I was just looking for the feedback I got from it. And really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Revelation to you. Yeah. <laughs> well, 
and I think that happens a lot with with our, our conveniences. You know, the truth is, is I'll get on and play a game or watch a movie, and really the act of playing the game isn't anything novel to me. It's it's the dopamine, and it's just the release of, of stress, and it's almost like cycling through Netflix or whatever streaming service, not even really watching a show. You just like the thrill of, of wasting time almost to a degree. And as Mitch talked about tonight in his lesson, we are just so pampered, and we have so much in front of us. And if there was ever a generation or a place on earth in human history that suffered from an identity crisis as a pandemic, to use a very popular word, we are it. Yeah. Well, me personally, and I think many Americans, I mean, we get in the habit of throwing money at something to get it to go away. Yep. And you can't do that with Christianity. (laughs) I mean, love is an action. I mean, it is about doing things that are about the well-being of others. And, and and you just talk about conveniences. I mean, everything, I don't even want to get up to go get food. I'll just, I'll just have it delivered. I don't even want to get up to go watch a movie. I'll just watch it at home. I don't want to get all these. If you could pay money, you can cut out the work. You can cut out steps. You can do less and less. And the that does not apply to Christianity. And that can't apply to Christianity. The same amount of work, maybe even more, that there's always been. I mean, you've got to be out wearing boots out to be a Christian. You've got to be spreading the gospel. I agree. And, and, and that's where it's become maybe more difficult in this shiny world we live in now. Uh, we're too too lazy. <laughs> I agree. And, and I think you, you bring up a good point. And I want to pose the question to the group. Y'all chime in. But do you think it's important or do you think it's valuable and there's some utility to be found in purposefully inconvenient inconveniencing yourself if you don't live a life where inconveniences pop up on a regular basis? Do you think purposely putting yourself in a position where you could be inconvenienced would benefit you to get you out of a rut of only searching for conveniences? Sawyer has an uncle I'm very close to. And one thing he told me one time that was very important when he was raising his kids was if you give somebody your word, do it. And, and, and the the subject at hand at that time was was uh, more of a business-like one. And I'm so, guessing somebody gave their word in this story and that produced an inconvenience for them in the yes, future. <laughs> yes, it was, I will do a, a job for X number of dollars. And then the next day, I figured out it was going to cost me XX dollars. Ooh. And, and, and do it. Mm-hmm. Be inconvenienced. Do and, and and you could argue that that's a pride issue. Well, no, it, you you told somebody you're going to do something for them. Do it, even when you found out later it was going to cost you money, it was going to inconvenience you, or you or you could have got something cheaper somewhere else. Uh, just let yourself be inconvenienced for their for their sake. Uh, if anything, you'll <laughs> you'll get better at not giving your word, <laughs> which. There's biblical principle for a little bit of that. Too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, as Christians, we're called to to be self-sacrificial. I don't like, I wish I would have phrased that a different way, but I mean, living our lives in sacrifice and service to others. And that in and of itself is an inconvenience. Yeah. And if we're applying that every single day, it's going to be an inconvenience. I was thinking about this yesterday or last night when I got home and sat down and started watching the football game thinking like, like I, when I sat down on the couch, I just plopped down and think, man, it's so good to just finally sit down. But then I thought of all the other things that I could be doing mm-hmm. or maybe in, as far as my service to God and to other people. And, and that's the time that, that really we should be getting up and going and doing something for yeah. other people. And I think the overall, well, I think that the most important thing for us as Christians is that we're bearing fruit. And your father-in-law talked about this just a couple of weeks ago, but we all think we all have, I mean, we all have different talents. So that means that we all bear fruit in different ways. Not all of us are preachers, not all of us are, are whatever, but we can all bear fruit. We can all serve the kingdom. And that's what it really comes down to is having a value in our mind and treasuring other people and serving other people, treasuring the kingdom, uh, the heavenly kingdom, we can experience this. I don't know how you would say it, but we can experience that kingdom right now with, as we're surrounding ourselves with our brothers and sisters in Christ. 
and bringing other people to Christ. So I think that's really what it comes down to. If you want to change your thought process or the things that you truly treasure in life, you got to start treasuring. You got to start, first of all, placing your importance on bearing fruit as a Christian. And that in turn will, if you make that a habit, put that in a daily, put that as a daily part in your life, then I think that you're going to see that the things that you value and your your values as a whole will shift. Mm-hmm. It seems strange to me that we chase after self-gratification and all these things that we think will bring us joy. And if we're, if, if we'll step back and think of the times that we've actually experienced joy doesn't ever come from serving self. Yep. It's always from sacrificing time, money, prayers, thoughts, time spent with mm-hmm. brothers and sisters. It's the Scrooge syndrome is what I've always looked at. It's the story of Ebenezer Scrooge is he's this crusty old codger that doesn't like anybody. He's miserable. He hates his life, but he's got all the money in the world. He lends out money to people, gets a lot of interest back on stuff and He's got everything he could ever want material-wise. And then at a certain point in that story, his heart shifts and he starts to see value in other things. And he becomes his happiest when he basically gives everything away. And I've always tried to look at that with regards to my time, to not be a Scrooge with my time. And the more I'm that way with time, like he is with physical resources, the less happy I'll ever be. And the more I give that up, the happier I usually am. So I appreciate you bringing that up because... To coattail off off of what Sawyer was saying, I think sometimes, and I hope y'all would agree with me on this, is that inconveniences that we're thinking about and we start to think about how hard it's going to be to do that, how hard it's going to be to go knock on a neighbor's door uh, and tell them about the gospel or do a Bible study or sit down and put together a lesson or start a reading plan or, or whatever, or sit down and meditate on scripture. All those inconveniences tend to be a whole lot worse in theory than they are in actually doing them. They tend to cause me a lot more distress just thinking about how I don't want to do it than the pain that it caused me to actually do it, which the truth is the pain in doing it is usually zero to immeasurable. Hopefully that made sense. I think it's hard too for maybe a beginning or a beginner Christian or somebody that maybe has been a Christian for a while, but really doesn't know how to serve or how to, how to start, I guess, placing value in other people's souls. And I would say, what do you who do you feel like that you have a burden for in life? And that could be people who are hurting, uh, maybe people that have gone through bad marriages, people who are maybe widows. The list could go on. But I've just, I mean, going through that process, I've just recently found the things really that maybe I'm passionate about or who I feel like I have a burden for. And I think that if if, if I were to give any advice to somebody else, is you need to start there. Think about somebody who, maybe a class of person who's hurting that, that you feel uh, a specific or, a, or a, a stronger urge to maybe help, you can I think you can start right there and start trying to serve those people. I think all of us, unless you're a complete psychopath, has a <laughs> an ability to, to have sympathy for other people. The jury's out on at least one of us. <laughs> Who is that? Yeah, I'm, I'm concerned now. <laughs> <laughs> Colossians 3... Uh, and 23, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Uh, earlier, Sawyer, you know, mentioned, you know, we're not all preachers. We're not all, we don't all have these grand, obvious talents or accomplishments that we can do in the body of Christ. But I think it's important to remember that just conducting daily life, if, 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 you, if you're a Christian and you find yourself struggling, what's my use? What's my purpose to the kingdom? What am I accomplishing? Well, when you own a business, and you conduct it to the best of your ability, as honest as you can. It's just an example. Uh, and always making sure that you're just being honest, being moral, you're showing Christ to those people. You're, you're showing this is what Christians hold on to. This is how Christians behave. And, and, and you could conduct business for, with somebody for years, and they could just finally be like, you know, that something about him. He's never done me wrong he's never taken advantage of me he's never he's actually uh you know done things that were to his own detriment you know i mean you could build relationships with somebody over and it may take a long time but that could be your way of of spreading the gospel that could be your little step in the door to where you can tell somebody about jesus yeah don't pigeonhole yourself into spreading the gospel through somebody else's method always look for the way that it's going to benefit people through what talents you've been given 
the most. And that's why I appreciated what Sawyer said about finding a certain group. And the truth is, is that when you find that group that you're passionate about, that you feel like you can connect with, you have springboards of conversations. You know, if you had a troubled childhood, go to that group. You can talk about something fairly similar. And there is a bevy of ways that you can intertwine scripture into those kinds of conversations. If, you know, your, your group is orphans or, you know, I'm having a hard time thinking of groups outside of, of people who've had rough upbringings, but y'all bring up some other groups that, uh, homeless people. (laughs) Yeah. If you've been homeless before, that's definitely an easy (laughs) conversation to start. Hey, I remember when I didn't have a house, Uh, Jimmy Hayes, you know, can reach a lot of people. Oh yeah. Basically because of the background he came from. Yeah. If sure. an audience, if your audience doesn't respect you, mm-hmm. you're not going to get anywhere. But if if somebody's, you know, I, I you know, they they've got a vendetta against God, and and they say you just don't understand because you've never, and then you tell them, yeah, actually been there. Like I said, yeah, I've been homeless or something, whatever the scenario is. You now have the respect of your audience; they will listen to you, and can maybe consider what you have to say. Absolutely. So, just in wrapping up, I'd like for us to go around in the circle of trust here. And the question I'd like to pose is if you were face to face with somebody who just uttered the words to you, I really like the idea of going to heaven, but I want to accomplish or do this particular thing first. What is the first statement out of your mouth? I mean, if I were given the, the boilerplate answer, I would probably be really harsh to that person. Mm -hmm. But I think if I were being honest, I would say, you know, I've been there. I struggle with that daily mm-hmm. because, and I think that if all of us are, are being honest, we're all in the flesh. Mm-hmm. And so we struggle with, with keeping that mindset out of our life. Yeah. I think it's important to show that person they're not alone in that Definitely. thought. And I think it goes back to what we talked about. I would try my best to convey to them the joy that we're going to experience in heaven. And, you know, we were talking too during all this, one thing that I do not give enough thought in my life when it comes to me experiencing heaven is that we're going to be in the presence of Christ. Mm -hmm. I am, and I think that we all have shaped that image as far as heaven in our minds differently and what it's going to look like, what we're going to experience. But I always think first about judgment day. And I talked about the fear that I had about judgment day. And it's because I know the harshness of God, but I also see the grace in Christ. I tend to not let both of those things and both of those beings in the Godhead work fluidly and interchangeably. Mm-hmm. I think of God as harsh and judgmental and his His will is going to be done. His wrath is going to be exercised on judgment day. All the while Christ is interceding on our behalf and he's going to be at the right hand of God on judgment day. But I think <laughs> I think that's what I would, would, would tell the person like, you know, have you been redeemed? Mm-hmm. Yeah, let's start and if, there. And if if they have, then say it was Christ's blood that that did that, right? Mm-hmm. You're going to be in the presence of that person. And you were talking about that image that we that that you saw where this woman is embracing Christ. Mm-hmm. That's not something that I give enough thought in my life, and mm-hmm. that that honestly eases any anxiety that I, I might have about judgment or whatever, mm-hmm. because I know that I'm going to be in the presence of Christ. It's mm-hmm. Something I need to give more thought in my life. Yeah, because. Because he's the one that basically has has lived has lived as a man and experienced some of the th- you know he's going to understand I, everything he's going to understand go through exactly to get to that point. And I, I hope you know that I guess I hope that it's that it's enough on yeah. touch with day. But that's what I would tell somebody is that we're going to be in the presence of Christ mm-hmm. in in all of His glory. I like that. It's like you're about to you're about to tell him he's he's holding you, he's embracing you, and you're about to tell him everything that you had to go through. And all the sadness and all the turmoil, and it's like he just says, "Don't worry about it. I, no. I get it. I've been there. There's and, and there's a lot of joy there, at least oh, for yeah. me. And I'm sorry if I took maybe a lot of y'all's ideas, but no. Well, like you said, and I was wrong. It's not Hebrews 11; it was Hebrews 12. And you said, you know, that Christ is there interceding in Hebrews 12 too. He said, "Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross." He had joy in it. Because he knew what he would accomplish there on the cross. And I guess I'll go next while I'm thinking about it. But I guess to springboard off what Sawyer said, you know, I I would hope that I wouldn't be harsh, that I would be level-headed. And I think I'd remind him of Romans 12 too. 
be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We we do live in the flesh, and and we have fleshly struggles. And sometimes it's difficult for us to keep perspective and to to find our identity in other things in this world when it should be in Christ. And if we'll continually renew our minds so that we can prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God, mm-hmm. I think I think it will help make that easier. And that's such a conscious decision you have to make to renew something as complicated as your own mind every day. You know, to actually, and I talked about this in a lesson on Sunday about the importance of meditation. I think that plays into it a lot because renewing your mind is tough because there's so much white noise around us and there's so much, so many distractions that keep us from renewing our mind every day, from taking any time to actually think about what we're doing and the things that we're doing that are either getting us closer to seeing heaven as a blessing or getting us closer to seeing it as an inconvenience. Psychopath's turn. Just kidding. Edit. <laughs> now we got to keep that in. Yeah. <laughs> I would encourage them to seek out scripture that describes to us what heaven's going to be like. Because when we're looking forward to something, maybe looking forward to get married or looking forward to whatever, we're excited about that one thing that we're not thinking about the nine other things in our life that are messed up. And yeah. so I, I would go to like Revelations 21 it really grasp what heaven's going to be. It says he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. I mean, when we have tunnel vision about something we're looking forward to, we're not thinking about pain or crying or, or those that we've lost. We're obsessed with this one positive thing. And just that's what I would do. I would encourage them to seek out scripture like that, that really gives us the best description that we can imagine of what heaven's going to be like. And to help us understand that regardless of at what point we're in in our lives, if we've been baptized into Christ's death, we should always be ready for heaven to come. Like Paul said, to live as Christ and to die as gain. Mm-hmm. He looked forward to it. You took one of my scriptures from me. I think he took two. I've I've been watching your facial expressions. Yeah, he's been seeing my spite from a distance. I had one more thought, too. Yeah. You know, there at least people who come to an old age and die in Christ, a lot of them are not at all afraid of death. And being a younger man, it's something that I've not necessarily, I cannot wrap my head around. Still, I mean, I I guess I can further on, but it goes back to to our dilemma is, you know, I want to watch my children grow this and that before I die anyway. I don't want to die at a young age. If if uh, time continues to go on, I want to live to till I'm a reasonable age before I die. But Mitch, what Mitch said really made me think about this. Life is, I mean, and I guess I've experienced a little bit of this, but life is just, it's full of pain and heartache. Some and people would argue it's defined by pain. Exactly. And heartache. And the older I get, the more I tend to realize this. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't experienced a great amount of loss or tragedy in my life, but... The older I get, and as I see people start to go and more people that I love start to, you know, they're not here anymore, I I realize that more of that's coming. If I'm going to live really any longer on this earth, I'm going to have to experience that pain. Mm-hmm. And I saw, you know, my for people that don't know, my mom's a f- photographer, and she had taken pictures at my cousin's wedding. And there was one picture... Of, of me and my younger brother and my dad. And he's, me and my brother on either side of him, and he's looking straight in the camera. And he's just got it, this, this stoic look on his face, and he's he's not smiling at all. He's just looking, just looking dead in, into the lens of the camera. And I told mom, I said, he's he's got just a hardened, hardened look on his face. And uh, for, for me, being his son... That's not necessarily an intimidating look or, or whatever, but I guess other people would think that it's a fairly intimidating Very much gaze so. that he has. But what I see is in his face is a man who's lived life. And he's not necessarily old by our standards. He's, I believe, 57, but he's experienced loss and pain, and he's seen that in other people's life. I think, you know, being an elder in the church, too, will will, will do that for you, too, but... You know, uh, I've heard it said that, you know, older people tend to cry a little bit more and, and younger people can't understand. Well, look, why are you crying? It's because I've lived life. You're you're a child. You can't understand. Yeah. And I guess I'm going off on a tangent, but no, it's good. Stuff. All of those things that I guess that those things hasten people's desire for heaven. Yeah. Because they've lived 
life and a lot of it has been painful a lot of i think a lot of there's been a lot of joy too and i guess specifically my dad's life or whoever you want to say my granddad just lost his wife about 18 months ago and i can and he's got health issues and stuff too he's lived a faithful life i don't i know that he's looking forward to to being in heaven when you've done just about all the conveniences and accomplishes accomplishments that life has to offer or you're getting farther down that line heaven starts to look a little bit more attractive almost because yep. you've just done all those things and I don't really, I don't know necessarily know if I like that or not. That you know that these people have experienced. I guess what it is is that they they have perspective now. Yeah, they see that there's no value in yeah. in these earthly things, and and what's really valuable possibly are the things and the people that they miss. Yeah, and what's scary and what's scary is we start to talk about it is we look at how old they are and we start wondering to ourselves, is it going to take me that long to fully appreciate that and to get that quote unquote figured out? Because what you just described about your dad to me is the thousand yard stare that you get from being <laughs> really it's, it's the thousand yard stare that you get from being in combat. Just it took him 57 years to get it, whereas 18 year old boys got it in Vietnam in the matter of a few days. Yeah. a few hours. Have you seen that picture of, of a man who it was taken of him before war and like two years after? I think I think so. Yeah. And how his face is aged. Yeah. Like war will age your face quickly and life is the war that ages it in due time. And you said something else too that got me thinking. You said a reasonable age. It's funny how a reasonable age is defined by so many societal factors. It's like 85 is a reasonable age to die only because you've gotten married, raised kids, had a career, retired, had grandkids, had kids that have graduated from college, and maybe even grandkids that have graduated high school, and you've collected retirement, collected Social Security or whatever, and all those things are the reason that that's an acceptable age to die. Whereas in the eyes of God, what is an acceptable age to die. I don't know how old is Noah. <laughs> he spent not an entire exact, lifetime working on the Not exactly the direction I was going. But, <laughs> but I guess in God's eyes, the the there is no ideal age to die as long as you're in the Lord. Yep. And that's what matters. That is true. I don't know how somebody in their 70 or, 70s or 80s that wasn't a Christian, I, I don't know how they could not just tremble in fear. I mean, at at, at relatively young age that I'm at, I've, I mean, I feel like I've got a good grasp on my own mortality and just how pathetic this body really is. I mean, oh, I slept the wrong way. It ruins the day. I didn't have a coffee. It ruins the day. My tooth hurts. It ruins the day. And, and I can't even begin to fathom how somebody in their 80s feels yeah and if they didn't have the hope of salvation how do you not just quake well when i die i'm done to, to believe that that's terrifying i can't imagine thankfully god be praised i don't have to and i don't plan to i plan to be a christian in my 80s or at the time of my death but i've really enjoyed the conversation y'all have anything to add that's a rookie mistake mitch not going uh without coffee for a day that's all i've got for those of you who don't know mitch is not a coffee drinker that's i didn't the, know that one of the reasons it's he's good a to psychopath well i have a, i have enough other fleshly things that <laughs> that ruin my day so if coffee if not having coffee ruins y'all's i've got other things that can yeah. ruin mine yeah, he's, he's got plenty of legs up on us well i've enjoyed the conversation i've enjoyed getting to visit back and forth about this and I hope you all have enjoyed the conversation too. Anybody who's listening, a big favor, go on social media, give us a like, uh, leave us a review on wherever you listen to podcasts, and look forward to the next episode. If you have suggestions about what we can talk about or what you would like to hear us talk about, send those requests to scriptureinout at gmail.com. That's scriptureinout at gmail.com. What's one of your greatest memories regarding having a discussion with somebody about biblical truths? And why did it mean so much to you? I have a few distinct memories, uh, but I think I just want to summarize it in some of the simplest Bible beliefs and Bible principles that I thought didn't even need to be discussed were the ones that I was totally wrong on. Hmm. And so having uh, people close to you that are studying the scriptures that you can discuss anything with, it, it, that's why it's important to me is, is because it's not the profound, deep Bible studying that, that I feel like I've ever made any big mistakes on or had wrong. It's some little bitty something that I never asked anybody there. What do you think about X, Y, Z verse? 
And then when it happens to come up, I'm like, oh. Yeah, so, so to be clear, you have all the deep philosophical truths, right? Yeah, I've so, got it down. Yeah. Got it down. Wow. But it's the little stuff I struggle Man. with. <laughs> Those mere mortals here gathered yeah. around you. <laughs> no, really, though. It's it's, uh, it's been amazing to me how yeah. little bitty things mm-hmm. that I just had them totally wrong. And yeah. when and then when you realize that you're in the room of eight people and they all they all have the same understanding of a verse and you're like, you don't even want to talk anymore. You're like, well, I thought it meant, never yeah. mind. Y'all yeah. continue on. You're, you're, you're <laughs> writing your dissertation on the book of Revelation and then somebody comes up to you and just blows your mind that there weren't actually two of each animal on the ark. He's looking at me right now like, is that yeah, actually? That's not a real example. <laughs> <laughs> so um, as I discussed earlier, you know, the, the one thing out of life that I would like to see is my kids grow up. And not just grow up for the sake of growing up, but to see them mature and to become faithful Christians. And in regards to the question of the greatest memory uh, about a discussion with someone about biblical truths was um, with my dad. And he said, you know, no matter what you do, you can honor God throughout your day. It doesn't matter if you're digging a ditch or or what you're doing in life, you can honor him. And to apply that to my kids, because, uh, you know, them and Maddie are the best things in my life. And... He said, um, he read to me Deuteronomy 6 to teach them when they rise up, when they lie down, when they walk by the wayside. And, you know, as a kid, you hear that and you're like, okay. But whenever you get to that stage, you realize how important it is, how you can honor God, how, how during daily interactions you can strengthen their faith, you can build them up, you can set them up for a strong foundation. And, and I've been really fortunate to have a wife that wants to homeschool. I'm not saying that's the end all be all, but for us, it's what we like. It's what works best for our family. And she has that influence over them. I also have a job where they can come to, uh, to work with me anytime. And we don't just have to sit at a desk or drive in a pickup, but after it rains and there's a rainbow, we can talk about the flood. Mm-hmm. And and we have that time together throughout our day, not just at a meal time after homework before bed and if we're intentional with our time we can set our kids up best we can and help give them a strong foundation to build on as they mature and and become a christian i would say i don't know if i could think of a necessarily a specific time that uh, that stands out to me more than the others but i would say really the most important thing that's happened in my life is basically what what my parents instilled in me and i was lucky enough to to have parents who would who would sit me down and my brothers down on you know on a weekly basis multiple times a week and, and just talk about God's word and it's like Cain said we they would take any and every opportunity opportunity to apply our daily life into scripture or apply our scripture to our daily life mm-hmm. that's better better put. scripture in scripture out exactly that's what I'm hearing and it's just like Cain said just just when you see a rainbow there's a opportunity there to teach scripture when you see weeds in the field opportunity to teach scripture yeah there once were two people that made a bad decision and now we got weeds and childbirth is rough and so i can't necessarily pinpoint a specific time or and i guess i could but i would say to me in my growth and and what i take with me every day is just what what basically they drilled into my head constantly and i don't know if it's necessarily a specific biblical concept or anything like that that I mean, I think that there's a lot of things that stuck with me because of it. And because of that, my children are going to be blessed too mm-hmm. if I do the same for them. So what I'm picking up on is value in biblical conversations comes from having biblical conversations <laughs> on a regular basis. Earth-shattering idea. Uh, What's yours, it. Jackson? What was the question again? <laughs> Goodness. <laughs> I can't read my own handwriting. Your handwriting is terrible. It is atrocious. Good. But that's mostly like my signatures on checks is what you see. Your G's look like S's. Your face looks like terrible. (laughs) Sorry. Soundbite. I I didn't mean that. Out of the mouth comes the heart's true intent. (laughs) Honestly, the, the most fun and the most memorable times I've had discussing scripture, it's hard to pinpoint one particular time, but this last year has been a time when having biblical discussions has taken on much more meaning to me, whether it's been in 
our sharpening sessions that we've had, whether it's been in uh, late nights at the fellowship hall, whether it's been with my family, I've begun to get so much more out of biblical discussions because I've decided that they mean so much more to me. And the reason I came to that decision was because I saw how much better life is when I'm having more of those discussions. My mind is more focused on God and it's more focused on doing what's right than it would be if I'm not having those conversations on a daily basis. That's why I'm usually the one in the group text that says, sharpening session needed, question mark. And I'm like, I'm, I'm really needing that time because I'm struggling and I need that encouragement and I need to have those discussions. Plus, I've always loved to visit for the most part. And so I think when you add talking to talking about words of life, it compounds it and just makes it better. Hey, thanks so much for taking a listen to that podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Look forward to next month where we're going to have Brother Jason Westbrooks from the Amarillo Church of Christ, who's an elder there who recently preached a sermon on the book of Galatians, and Brother Jordan Dancer who goes to church at the South Canadian Valley Church of Christ in Norman, Oklahoma, who also has a podcast called 15 Minutes and a Big Idea. Be sure to check it out. He's also done a series on Galatians as well. Both have approached it from different angles, and we're going to bring them together to talk about the book and its application to us as Christians today. We hope you'll look forward to that. We'll see you on the next one.